Chapter Five of the Beast of Tarzan. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to find out how you can volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by James Christopher. The Beast of Tarzan by Edgar Rice Burroughs. Chapter Five, Mugambi. By the time that Tarzan had traveled entirely about the coast of the island and made several trips inland from various points, he was sure that he was the only human being upon it. Nowhere had he found any sign that men had stopped even temporarily upon this shore, though of course he knew that so quickly does the rank vegetation of the tropics erase all but the most permanent of human monuments, that he might be in error in his deductions. The day following the killing of Numa, Tarzan and Sheeta came upon the tribe of Akut. At sight of the panther, the great apes took to flight, but after a time Tarzan succeeded in recalling them. It had occurred to him that it would be at least an interesting experiment to attempt to reconcile these hereditary enemies. He welcomed anything that would occupy his time and his mind beyond the filling of his belly and the gloomy thoughts to which he fell prey the moment that he became idle. To communicate his plan to the apes was not a particularly difficult matter, though their narrow and limited vocabulary was strained in the effort, but to impress upon the little, wicked brain of Sheeta that he was to hunt with and not for his legitimate prey proved a task almost beyond the powers of the ape-man. Tarzan, among his other weapons, possessed a long, stout cudgel, and after fastening his rope about the panther's neck, he used this instrument freely upon the snarling beast, endeavoring in this way to impress upon its memory that it must not attack the great, shaggy, man-like creatures that had approached more closely once they had seen the purpose of the rope about Sheeta's neck. That the cat did not turn and ran to Tarzan is something of a miracle, which may possibly be accounted for by the fact that twice when it turned growling upon the ape-man he had wrapped it sharply upon its sensitive nose, inculcating in its mind thereby a most wholesome fear of the cudgel and the ape-beast behind it. It is a question if the original cause of this attachment for Tarzan was still at all clear in the mind of the panther, though doubtless some subconscious suggestion superinduced by this primary reason and aided and abetted by the habit of the past few days, did much to compel the beast to tolerate treatment at his hands that would have sent it at the throat of any other creature. Then, too, there was the compelling force of the man-mind exerting its powerful influence over this creature of a lower order, and, after all, it may have been this that proved the most potent factor in Tarzan's supremacy over Sheeta and the other beast of the jungle that had from time to time fallen under his dominion. Be that as it may, for days the man, the panther, and the great apes roamed their savage haunts side by side, making their kills together, and sharing them with one another, and of all the fierce and savage band, none was more terrible than the smooth-skinned powerful beast that had been but a few short months before, a familiar figure in many a London drawing-room. Sometimes the beasts separated to follow their own inclinations for an hour or a day, and it was upon one of these occasions when the ape-man had wandered through the tree-tops toward the beach, and was stretched in the hot sun upon the sand, that from the low summit of a nearby promontory a pair of keen eyes discovered him. For a moment the owner of the eyes looked in astonishment at the figure of the savage white man basking in the rays of that hot tropic sun. Then he turned, making a sign to someone behind him. Presently another pair of eyes were looking down upon the ape-man, and then another, and another, until a full score of hideously trapped, savage warriors were lying upon their bellies along the crest of the ridge, watching the white-skinned stranger. They were downwind from Tarzan and so their scent was not carried to him, and as his back was turned half toward them he did not see their cautious advance over the edge of the promontory and down through the rank grass toward the sandy beach where he lay. Big fellows they were, all of them, their barbaric headdress and grotesquely painted faces, 
together with their many metal ornaments and gorgeously colored feathers, adding to their wild, fierce appearance. Once at the foot of the ridge, they came cautiously to their feet, and, bent half-double, advanced silently upon the unconscious white man, their heavy war-clubs swinging menacingly in their brawny hands. The mental suffering that Tarzan's sorrowful thoughts induced had the effect of numbing his keen, perceptive faculties, so that the advancing savages were almost upon him before he became aware that he was no longer alone upon the beach. So quickly, though, were his mind and muscles wont to react in unison to the slightest alarm that he was upon his feet and facing his enemies, even as he realized that something was behind him. As he sprang to his feet, the warriors leaped toward him with raised clubs and savage yells, but the foremost went down to sudden death beneath the long, stout stick of the ape-man, and then the lithe, sinewy figure was among them, striking right and left with a fury, power, and precision that brought panic to the ranks of the blacks. For a moment they withdrew, those that were left of them, and consulted together at a short distance from the ape-man, who stood with folded arms, a half-smile upon his handsome face, watching them. Presently they advanced upon him once more, this time wielding their heavy war-spears. They were between Tarzan and the jungle, in a little semicircle that closed in upon him as they advanced. There seemed to the ape-man but slight chance to escape the final charge, when all the great spears should be hurled simultaneously at him. But if he had desired to escape, there was no way other than through the ranks of the savages except the open sea behind him. His predicament was indeed most serious when an idea occurred to him that altered his smile to a broad grin. The warriors were still some little distance away, advancing slowly, making after the manner of their kind a frightful din with their savage yells and the pounding of their naked feet upon the ground as they leaped up and down in a fantastic war-dance. Then it was that the ape-man lifted his voice in a series of wild, weird screams that brought the blacks to a sudden perplexed halt. They looked at one another questioningly, for here was a sound so hideous that their own frightful din faded into insignificance beside it. No human throat could have formed those bestial notes, they were sure and yet with their own eyes they had seen this white man open his mouth to pour forth his awful cry. But only for a moment they hesitated, and then with one accord they again took up their fantastic advance upon their prey. But even then a sudden crashing in the jungle behind them brought them once more to a halt. And as they turned to look in the direction of this new noise, there broke upon their startled visions a sight that may well have frozen the blood of braver men than the Wagambi. Leaping from the tangled vegetation of the jungle's rim, came a huge panther, with blazing eyes and bared fangs, and in his wake a score of mighty, shaggy apes, lumbering rapidly toward them, half erect upon their short, bowed legs, and with their long arms reaching to the ground, where their horny knuckles bore the weight of their ponderous bodies as they lurched from side to side in their grotesque advance. The beast of Tarzan had come in answer to his call. Before the Wagami could recover from their astonishment, the frightful horde was upon them from one side, and Tarzan of the apes from the other. Heavy spears were hurled, and mighty war-clubs wielded, and though apes went down never to rise, so too went down the men of Ugambi. Sheeta's cruel fangs and tearing talons ripped and tore at the black hides. Akut's mighty yellow tusks found the juggler of more than one sleek-skinned savage, and Tarzan of the apes was here and there and everywhere, urging on his fierce allies and taking a heavy toll with his long, slim knife. In a moment the blacks had scattered for their lives, but of the score that had crept down the grassy sides of the promontory only a single warrior managed to escape the horde that had overwhelmed his people. This one was Mugambi, chief of the Wagami of Ungambi, and as he disappeared in the tangled luxuriousness of the rank growth upon the ridge's summit, only the keen eyes of the ape-man saw the direction of his flight. Leaving his pack to eat their fill upon the flesh of their victims, flesh that he could not touch, Tarzan of the apes pursued the single survivor of the bloody fray, 
Just beyond the ridge he came within sight of the fleeing black, making with headlong leaps for a long war-canoe that was drawn up well upon the beach above the high-tide surf. Noiseless as the fellow's shadow, the ape-man raced after the terror-stricken black. In the white man's mind was a new plan, awakened by sight of the war-canoe. If these men had come to his island from another, or from the mainland, why not utilize their craft to make his way to the country from which they had come? Evidently it was an inhabited country, and no doubt had occasional intercourse with the mainland, if it were not itself upon the continent of Africa. A heavy hand fell upon the shoulder of the escaping Mugambi before he was aware that he was being pursued, and as he turned to do battle with his assailant, giant fingers closed about his wrist, and he was hurled to earth with a giant astride him before he could strike a blow in his own defense. In the language of the west coast, Tarzan spoke to the prostrate man beneath him. "'Who are you?' he asked. "'Wagambi, chief of the Wagambi,' replied the black. "'I will spare your life,' said Tarzan, "'if you will promise to help me leave this island. What do you answer?' "'I will help you,' replied Mugambi. "'But now that you have killed all my warriors, I do not know that even I can leave your country, for there will be none to wield the paddles, and without paddlers we cannot cross the water.' Tarzan rose and allowed his prisoner to come to his feet. The fellow was a magnificent specimen of manhood, a black counterpart in physique of the splendid white man whom he faced. "'Come,' said the ape-man, and started back in the direction from which they could hear the snarling and growling of the feasting pack. Mugambi drew back. "'They will kill us,' he said. "'I think not,' replied Tarzan. "'They are mine.' Still the black hesitated, fearful of the consequences of approaching the terrible creatures that were dining upon the bodies of his warriors. But Tarzan forced him to accompany him, and presently the two emerged from the jungle in full view of the grisly spectacle upon the beach. At sight of the men, the beast looked up with menacing growls, but Tarzan strode in among them, dragging the trembling Wagambi with him. As he had taught the apes to accept Sheeta, so he taught them to adopt Mugambi as well, and much more easily. But Sheeta seemed quite unable to understand that though he had been called upon to devour Mugambi's warriors, he was not allowed to proceed after the same fashion with Mugambi. However, being well filled, he contented himself with walking round the terror-stricken savage, emitting low, menacing growls the while he kept his flaming, baleful eyes riveted upon the black. Mugambi, on his part, clung closely to Tarzan, so that the ape-man could scarce control his laughter at the pitiable condition to which the chief's fear had reduced him. But at length the white took the great cat by the scruff of the neck, and, dragging it quite close to the Wagambi, slapped it sharply upon the nose each time that it growled at the stranger. At the sight of the thing, a man mauling with his bare hands, one of the most relentless and fierce of the jungle carnivora, Mugambi's eyes bulged from their sockets, and from entertaining a sullen respect for the giant white man who had made him prisoner, the black felt an almost worshipping awe of Tarzan. The education of Sheeta progressed so well that in a short time Mugambi ceased to be the object of his hungry attention, and the black felt a degree more of safety in his society. To say that Mugambi was entirely happy or at ease in his new environment, would not be to adhere strictly to the truth. His eyes were constantly rolling apprehensively from side to side, as now one and now another of the fierce pack chanced to wander near him, so that for most of the time it was principally the whites that showed. Together, Tarzan and Mugambi, with Sheeta and Akut, lay in wait at the ford for a deer, and when at a word from the ape-man the four of them leaped out upon the affrighted animal, the black was sure that the poor creature died of fright before ever one of the great beasts touched it. Mugambi built a fire and cooked his portion of the kill. But Tarzan, Sheeta, and Akut tore theirs, raw with their sharp teeth, growling among themselves, when one ventured to encroach upon the share of another. It was not, after all, strange that the white man's ways should have been so much more nearly related to those of the beast than were the savage blacks. 
We are, all of us, creatures of habit, and when the seeming necessity for schooling ourselves in new ways ceases to exist, we fall naturally and easily into the manners and customs which long usage has implanted irredactably within us. Mugambi, from childhood, had eaten no meat until it had been cooked, while Tarzan, on the other hand, had never tasted cooked food of any sort until he had grown almost to manhood, and only within the past three or four years had he eaten cooked meat. Not only did the habit of a lifetime prompt him to eat it raw, but the craving of his palate as well, for to him cooked flesh was spoiled flesh when compared with the rich and juicy meat of a fresh, hot kill. That he could, with relish, eat raw meat that had been buried by himself weeks before, and enjoy small rodents and disgusting grubs, seems to us who have always been civilized a revolting fact. But had we learned in childhood to eat those things, and had we seen all those about us eat them, they would seem no more sickening to us now than do many of our greatest dainties at which a savage African cannibal would look with repugnance and turn up his nose. For instance, there is a tribe in the vicinity of Lake Rudolph that will eat no sheep or cattle, though its next neighbors do so. Nearby is another tribe that eats donkey meat, a custom most revolting to the surrounding tribes that do not eat donkey. So who may say that it is nice to eat snails and frogs' legs and oysters, but disgusting to feed upon grubs and beetles, or that a raw oyster, hoof, horns, and tail, is less revolting than the sweet, clean meat of a fresh-killed buck. The next few days Tarzan devoted to the weaving of a bark-cloth sail with which to equip the canoe, for he despaired of being able to teach the apes to wield the paddles, though he did manage to get several of them to embark in the frail craft which he and Mungambi paddled about inside the reef where the water was quite smooth. During these trips he had placed paddles in their hands when they attempted to imitate the movements of him and Mugambi, but so difficult is it for them long to concentrate upon a thing that he soon saw that it would require weeks of patient training before they would be able to make any effective use of these new implements, if, in fact, they should ever do so. There was one exception, however, and he was a cut. Almost from the first he showed an interest in this new sport that revealed a much higher plane of intelligence than that attained by any of his tribe. He seemed to grasp the purpose of the paddles, and when Tarzan saw that this was so, he took much pains to explain in the meager language of the anthropoid how they might be used to the best advantage. From Mugambi, Tarzan learned that the mainland lay but a short distance from the island. It seemed that the Wagambi warriors had ventured too far out in their frail craft, and when caught by a heavy tide and a high wind from offshore they had been driven out of sight of land. After paddling for a whole night, thinking that they were headed for home, they had seen this land at sunrise, and still taking it for the mainland, had hailed it with joy. Nor had Mugambi been aware that it was an island until Tarzan had told him that this was the fact. The Wagambi chief was quite dubious as to the sail, for he had never seen such a contrivance used. His country lay far up the broad Ungambi River, and this was the first occasion that any of his people had found their way to the ocean. Tarzan, however, was confident that with a good west wind he could navigate the little craft to the mainland. At any rate, he decided, it would be preferable to perish on the way than to remain indefinitely upon this evidently uncharted island to which no ships might ever be expected to come. And so it was that when the first fair wind rose he embarked upon his cruise, and with him he took as strange and fearsome a crew as ever sailed under a savage master. Mugambi and Akut went with him, and Sheeta the panther, and a dozen great males of the tribe of Akut. End of chapter 5